So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us, who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one-size-fits-all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. This is the Alternative Investing Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. It is really, really awesome to have you back here with us. Today, what I actually want to do is dive into a topic around this idea of predictions. And I have absolutely no doubt that my topic today is actually going to offend a few people. But what I really am saddened about over and over again is the number of people who make investment decisions off the back of very loudly voiced predictions about what will or won't happen and then ultimately end up either losing money or finding themselves in a dead-end investment from which either they can't exit without you know taking a haircut or that would cause them significant financial pain so you know that's really my motivation for kind of this topic today is I want to see people starting to make better decisions which doesn't put them in a situation where they've relied on something that really shouldn't have been relied on so so where I want to start today is um, a fantastic quote by a guy called Thomas Carlyle who described economics as the dismal science. And the reason he did that was it was in reference to a prediction made by a, an economist, Thomas Malthus, who actually forecasted that the rate of growth of food supply in the world compared with the rate of population growth just wasn't going to keep pace and that the result was actually going to be mass starvation. And obviously, I mean, that, that prediction was made probably over 150 years ago. But you can start to see that over history, time and time again, there are very prominent people who use things like economics to predict what will happen and find that they get it wrong. You know, if I were to step backwards a little bit, when I went to university and I studied economics, there were a lot of maths and graphs and, and formulas trying to describe what happens to the economy when different economic levers and pressures are applied? How do people react? And my memory of how economics was taught was that it was taught as a mathematical exact science. Since then, I've tuned into a, a lot of very intelligent people making proclamations about the future as if it were a simple math equation. And so, Really, you know, I've been fascinated as I've observed over the last 15 or so plus years that there are people making forecasts over and over again and using that forecast to influence investors. And then we're discovering that those forecasts are, are wrong or at best lucky. You know, if I think about how economics is described now, it's generally talked about as a social science because a lot of critics will say that, you know, economics falls short of the definition of a science because there's a lack of testable hypotheses. There's a lack of consensus and political, you know, changes and policies can have a massive impact 
implication for how different levers are pulled and then impact our economy. So, all of those things combined make me agree with the idea that, you know, economics is actually, you know, less of a science and more of a study of of human behavior. I think, you know, one of the people who I've kind of read about in reference to this is a guy called Robert Schiller. Now, Robert Schiller is a Nobel Prize winning economist. And the reason that he has won the prize is because he's had a really fantastic ability to predict bubbles. And I've heard him even described as the godfather of bubbles. But one of the things that I've seen in interviews is that he has quite a lot of humility in terms of being able to, when he's asked, predict the future. So, He is highly skeptical of his own ability and actually says, I'm not able to accurately predict the ups and downs of the market. So, when he's asked to predict what will come next, what I love is that he focuses more on the, well, maybe and or I don't know. And so, he's actually very soft in his belief in his own ability to predict what is going to happen in the future. And my sense is if someone who is a Nobel Prize winning economist feels, you know, that there's doubt about his own abilities, then why are there so many experts, wealth experts, property experts, share experts out there screaming to the hilltops that they know exactly what is going to happen in the future? I think there's a a fantastic quote by Morgan Hounsell, who, you know, interviewed Robert Schiller and you know, he said that predictions by those people with poor track records are given out like candy. And I think that's a really kind of slightly humorous, but true reflection of what we experience as, you know, investors in everyday world. There are so many people out there who are claiming that their analysis of the market is a surefire interpretation and that their prediction is correct. And, you know, I think there are so many studies over time. And there's definitely experts out there more from a kind of a science perspective who look at these predictions and actually with, you know, great degree of certainty conclude that predictions are the equivalent of random guesses. So, you know, the problem for new investors or any investors is that you are, you know, kind of putting yourself in a situation where the loudest voices, the voices who manage to make it onto the media, and news channels that you perceive as credible are the ones that will have the most influence. And there's definitely an element of something to some degree becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. But I think the big takeaway that I want investors to have is that it's really, really difficult to predict with any accuracy what the future holds. And there's another quote by a a fellow called Daniel Gardner, who says that those who claim to you know, make the predictions about the future. So, those who get it right are lying, even if by chance they're later proved right. And really where I wanted to kind of leave this episode today is that, you know, one of the things I mentioned at our mastermind a couple of weeks ago was I talked about this fabulous book called The Great Depression, A Diary. And it was essentially a diary maintained by a lawyer during the Great Depression. And it's a fascinating read. But one of the things that kind of came out of that, there was a lot of take, a lot of great takeaways that we talked about, but essentially millions and millions of people 
have spent time thinking about framing up, quantifying, hypothesizing the questions that he raises in that book as a layperson. And we haven't even come up with any bulletproof answers or even a consensus around them. So I go back to this idea, how can predictions be relied upon when people who've dedicated their entire lives to the study of economics and, you know, psychological impacts that money and wealth have on behavior, if they can't get it right, how does the layperson do it? You know, four of the questions that he raised in his diary uh, that kind of highlight no matter how prosperous the global economy has been for the past century, we still don't have answers to some of the most basic questions that he obsessed about. So, one of the questions he had was how much debt is too much debt, whether we're talking about for a household or a company or a government. And then the second question he asked over and over was, you know, what is the most secure way to guarantee a return on investment without excessive exposure to risk? And what is excessive risk? So, again, that question has been debated to the nth degree and there's still no consensus on the answer to that question. The third question that he raised, which I think is really, really crucial for anyone who's trying to succeed as an investor is, you know, why can't economies continue to expand at a steady, manageable pace? Why does, you know, the economy continue to lapse into destructive boom and bust cycles? Like, why can't it just be a steady growth, right? Why is it up and down? The final question, the fourth question is, you know, how much can governments intervene? How much can governments prop up private enterprise without creating, you know, a moral hazard that actually, you know, hinders the markets? So, the reason I'm bringing these up is because I feel that I'm continuing to hear from many investors who are relying on expert opinions put out there by people that don't necessarily actually support the data. And I think this really leads to the key point that I want to make today, which is that there are really three kinds of predictions. And we want to be really mindful of when we're looking at people's predictions of the future, we need to really take this into consideration. So, the first kind of prediction is where people find data and then use that data to make predictions. And that is seen as probably one of the more credible types of prediction because people like actuaries and mathematicians and psychologists use data and then, you know, with some degree of training and authority, try to make a prediction. The second kind of prediction is where people have theories about what they think will happen and then they find the data to support those predictions. And then the third kind of prediction is where people just have a vested interest and they make up a prediction and then speak with authority. And the the problem is that when things are uncertain as they are right now, we tend to look for strong voices. We tend to look for leadership to guide our behavior and provide examples of what to follow. And I think the point I want to make is that everyone's a guru with the benefit of hindsight. Everyone can be a guru when things are rosy. I saw a lot of literature over the last year or two of people congratulating themselves as experts because they happen to predict that, for example, property uh, should have been purchased over the last two years. So, I get that it's easy to look like a guru with the benefit of hindsight. But I think the point that I want to make is that forecasts 
are really terrible things to hang your hat on when you're thinking about making investment decisions. I would really suggest, and I guess the big takeaway is that there's nothing wrong with listening to people's opinions on what will happen in the future. But as long as you are kind of cognizant of maybe how those predictions have been made and use that information in the context of everything else going on in the world to make a decision that on balance makes sense to you rather than blindly following forecasts for what people say are going to happen in the future. Because I think, you know, the reality is that predictions are always going to be colored by whatever data or opinions you have available to you at a time. And I'm not saying that people who make predictions are bad people, but I would say to you that it's really, really important to be using data in combination with opinion, but also putting a strong dosage of skepticism and layering all of your kind of decisions with this idea of you know, you really want to be thinking in terms of probabilities. I think the reason that I wanted to record this podcast today is that the world is full of strong opinion right now. I even read yesterday someone who's very prominent in US press encouraging investors to sell everything they have right now on Wall Street, on the stock market. And You know, I kind of look at that as, you know, one very strong, loud voice in amongst a sea of other potentially more rational voices. But I would be looking to the people who have the results that you want to ask them, you know, what are they thinking and feeling? What are they observing? Rather than making rash decisions based on, you know, really what could be a fairly superficial analysis. And, you know, the other thing that I would say to you is that there's a huge lag between the timing of data being published and the impact on the economy actually being felt. And we're certainly seeing that in the market right now as we see some fairly seriously heavy discounting going on in the real estate market where people are so desperate to sell out of their properties that they're accepting, you know, in some cases 20% lower than asking price just to get the liquidation or the liquidity event happening. So tread carefully, don't panic and really ask yourself what makes sense before you make wild decisions. I think that's really the summary of today's session. But anyway, guys, I certainly am open to disagreements with my perspective. I'm certainly not saying that that my voice is the only voice out there. I'm really open to people reaching out and sharing ideas that they want to talk about. So till next time, guys, take care and um, yeah, stay safe. You've been listening to the Alternative Investing Podcast. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to incosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.